Hello everybody, we're joined today by Izzy, the creator behind the BL webcomic Reads. We had a really insightful discussion with Izzy, and to preview the episode, Izzy talks about his love for visual storytelling and how it has led him down the path of creating comics, discusses the ongoing research he's done to create an accurate representation of Hmong people, and what it's like to see so many people interested in learning about it through his comic. He also shares his data-centric approach to growing his IP and his simple but effective philosophy of failing forward that we were really inspired by and are excited to share with you. Here's Izzy. Hello, Izzy. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Why don't you give everyone a brief intro as to who you are? Yeah, my name is Izzy. I go by ZZ Sleeps online. I am a Hmong American comic creator, and I create the comic reads. And what got you into comic making? started when I was very young. My dad was super into newspaper comics. Uh, so mm -hmm. I got really into Peanuts. I got into Boondocks, um, Calvin and Hobbes, and a really big one for me was uh, Gary Larson. So got really into the newspaper funnies, and that divulged into anime and TV cartoons. And from there, how did you get into making your own comics? I've always preferred visual storytelling. So um, my beginnings with drawing were more like memes and then a slice of life about myself. When I was in college, I did a lot of little mini comics about my experiences in college and going through the big city that I was in. So comics have always just been a form of doing storytelling that people could see. And jumping ahead a little bit to reads, if I remember correctly, you wrote out reads before you drew it out. Is that right? Yeah, it is. I wrote out reads novel style and I was not happy with the uh, prose. I don't enjoy writing prose. Um, so <laughs> uh, I opted to instead turn it into a comic because again, I'm, I'm more of a visual storyteller and there's a lot of things that you can do with visual storytelling and comics where you can have little subtle things going on in the background that people don't really notice. It's a lot more difficult to do that when you're doing it in prose. So it ended up being the medium that I preferred. So when you started, it seems like you kind of had this idea and you're like, okay, I want to just get this story out there. Although you prefer a visual medium, you know, you chose to go with prose to start. What was your like process behind that? So I remember you guys did a podcast with uh, Plastic Barrio and they mentioned that, you know, their characters just kind of did whatever in their head and they were the one that released it out to the world. And that's pretty much how it worked for me too. I just kind of sat down and the words started flowing <laughs> onto the mm -hmm. Google Doc. It's more like, you know, they do their own thing and I'm the oracle that has to bring it into this mortal plane. So how did you come up with like the world and the story of Reeds? I'm a really big fan of Chinese high fantasy and my parents are too, and they got me really into it. But growing up, we watched a lot of like Chinese and Korean and Japanese dramas and high fantasies in their respective cultures, but never saw anything with Hmong culture because we're a very, a very small minority group that a lot of people didn't know about until fairly recently when Suni Lee won uh, the Olympics. So mm. I wanted to create something that was like that, you know, very high fantasy, very exciting, but something that I could see myself in and that other Hmong people could see themselves in. When you were creating a story with Hmong culture as like the fine of it, how much of it were things that you already knew? Um, you know, on your Instagram, it says that you are a Hmong comic artist. So you're, I'm guessing you're drawing from a lot of personal experience. Were the things that you had to research and like refine as well, just so you made sure you portrayed your, your culture the way you wanted it to? Oh yeah, significantly. So I'm a second gen 
Hmong person in the U.S. My parents are 1.5 gen and their parents are first gen. Uh, so <laughs> there was a lot of loss of culture as we got further down the generations because of assimilation and, you know, surviving in America. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I personally still don't know about Hmong culture that I end up reaching out to my parents or, you know, reaching out to other Hmong people. Uh, when I do research, I try and find as many resources as I can. There's actually a good handful of um, Hmong I want to say teachers, but people who are, I guess they're teachers, but they release a lot of information about Hmong culture for people like me and also the generations uh, coming after me who aren't as well-versed as um, they would be in our culture. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of Facebook groups that discuss different aspects of Hmong culture. But whenever I have a question, I always just message my parents and I'm just like, hey, like, you know, what is this? <laughs> how, how do I, how do I do this? Um, <laughs> or like, does this sound right? Uh, that kind of stuff. So it's good to have other Hmong people as a resource. How involved are they in the uh, creative process, your parents? Because that's an amazing resource. I don't think I've I've heard of that yet. Yeah, yeah. I didn't tell my parents about Reads until we hit around 7K subscribers. And I sat them down and I was just like, okay, this is a thing that's happening. And I try and keep them hands off from the storyline because (laughs) my dad's kind of a backseat writer. But, you know, I... (laughs) I do reach out to them as like a cultural resource. So uh, for example, the Hmong groups that are in the US, there's two different uh, Hmong groups that are in the US. It's the white Hmong and the green Hmong. My dad is white Hmong and my mom is green Hmong. So there's mm-hmm. different subtleties w- with each like subgroup that you know you kind of have to be aware of. So I talk with my dad and I talk with my mom about like, you know, hey, there's this thing that I want to portray in my comic. Does it kind of align well with this? Or, you know, there's words that are different because they have different dialects. So whenever I'm thinking about a word or a character's name, I'm like, okay, am I spelling this right? Or am I thinking of this in the right way? So that that's pretty much the extent of their involvement. Otherwise, I, I get really embarrassed like talking with them about my comic. <laughs> so um, whenever like a new episode comes up and they'll message me and they'll be like, I love the new episode. I'm like, great. I don't want to talk anymore about this because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> that's awesome they're regular readers that's the absolute best yeah (laughs) is there something that you learned in the process of creating this comment I'll admit I didn't know anything about Hmong culture until I I read your comic I read the Q&A and I was able to learn a lot more so I appreciate you putting your story out there gave me the opportunity to learn more but was there something you learned that you didn't realize before as you created this comment yeah I learned that people are hungry to learn about other cultures. Mm. One of the bigger things that I've gotten feedback on about my comic is that, you know, this is a lot of people's first introduction to Hmong culture. And people are very fascinated by that. They love learning about Hmong culture. And it's not just people who aren't Hmong, but also uh, other Hmong people. As I mentioned previously, a lot of the Mm. generations under me, they're losing a lot of our culture because there's a lot of things that come into it. It's like language barrier. Americanization is a really big factor into it. So there'll be things that I talk about in the comic, like superstitions or traditional practices that they didn't know were a thing. And they'd go to their parents and ask them like, hey, is this a thing? And their parents be like, yeah, it's a thing. So the core learning that I took from it is that people want to learn more about other cultures and they're very hungry to learn about these cultures and they find these things fascinating. One interesting thing about your comic is how you you talk a lot about gender identity within the story. There's things that different characters are going through. And you also, I, I think in one of the Q&As, talk about how Hmong culture use gender identity. I, I guess, like, is that something you knew about before and you're like, okay, I see a way how to weave these two things in together? Or what was your process for, like, bringing that together? Yeah, so the story itself was born from a really interesting time where I was still coming to terms with my own gender identity, having that transgender egg crack. So it was a lot of philosophical self-meditations on reconciling with 
uh, my culture as well as my identity. There was a point where I felt, because we have a very rigid binary patriarchal culture that has very strict gender roles um, for you know your assigned gender at birth. Uh, so it was really difficult for me to reconcile, hey, is it possible for me to be LGBT? Is it possible for me to be transgender and also be Hmong? And so it took a lot of thinking on it and a lot of research into our traditional shamanism to kind of come to this conclusion that, yeah, it is possible. And it really surfaced, uh, the, the plot line about gender identity in my story really surfaced when I was talking to my dad and trying to explain to him about what it's like to be transgender. Mm. And the way that I did it was I explained to him that I, I used terms that he would understand because I was talking about it in the sense of our culture and that my spirit, my soul isn't, you know, matching up with the gender that I was assigned at birth. And that's when it clicked for him. That's when he was like, mm. oh, okay, I get that now because it's a part of our culture and this, these are things that we understand. <laughs> so mm. that was another thing that I wanted to do too is that, because there's a lot of queer mom kids who have reached out to me saying that like, you know, they really cared a lot about this comic because it's helped them. I wanted to be able to provide a way for people to understand the spiritual aspect of uh, being transgender and being able to communicate that with their own family members. It's one thing for you as an individual to go through figuring out your own gender identity. That must have taken just a lot emotionally, physically for you to be able to do that. It's another for you to then put that out there in a story. So, I mean, what was, what was that like? And now you're hearing from other queer monk people, thanks for putting this out there. And it makes me feel more, you even say it in your Q&A, you want to comfort queer monk people. What was it like for you to go from like, okay, figuring out my own gender identity to creating a comic to then getting feedback from people that this is helping them? Yeah, I mean, it was a shock. I, when I went into it, I wasn't really expecting people to really be reading it. When I grew up, my parents were also very skeptical of if people would be accepting of our culture. I remember my dad, because, you know, my parents, they grew up 1.5 generation in like the 80s and 90s. It was really difficult for them to kind of express who they were without like being associated with uh, the larger East Asian groups. So my dad would always tell me, if you ever want to tell a story, you should have like a white protagonist because people will be more accepting of it. Mm. But you know, people are able to relate to my characters, even though they're not white, and especially more so with Hmong people who do understand like the culture and the world that we're in. So it was a shock to receive that kind of feedback because, you know, it, it shatters like that idea that I've kind of grown up with. Um, I, I very much enjoyed being able to have that kind of impact on people. I actually had a, an in-person fan interaction uh, fairly recently. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it really solidified the reality of like, okay, this is actually touching people's lives and affecting them. <laughs> if you don't mind sharing, like, how did that like go down? Because I think one tricky thing for webcomic artists is like, it can be hard to know like, oh, this is like the, the creator of something that I love so much. So, like, how did they realize it was you? What was it like? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, it was, it was so funny. Um, I went to a, it was a Southeast Asian festival, just yeah. went on a whim, uh, found out about it like the day before. There was a Hmong booth there. And so I had flyers of uh, four reads on hand and I shared it with <laughs> them and I was just explaining like, hey, yeah, you know, it's on Webtoon, uh, check it out, tell your friends. And they were really nice and they were polite and they were like, oh yeah, cool. Like, we'll be happy to support and tell everybody. And I walked around the festival for a bit and like about 15 minutes later, this woman from the booth came running after me. Um, I introduced myself to her. So she was just like, Izzy, and got my attention. <laughs> and she told me, she was like, I just found out that my little sisters are, are huge fans oh, wow. of your comic. 
and like they want to meet you and they're like running around looking for you <laughs> um and so, so yeah cool. I stuck behind and I got to meet them it was it was very eye-opening because I realized you know just how young my uh, reader base kind of skews but it was also very fun I had a, a king keychain it was one of the prototype keychains on me and I gave it to them it was great to just yeah get to talk to them and have that interaction that's when I really like you know receiving letters from people like you know it, telling me like you know how this has impacted them it's very real to receive those but this was like I'm in real life talking to somebody mm. about my comic and that was that was where it really set in like oh, okay this is this is a thing that is happening because of my comic the keychains are going to be a big part of this pod I, I have so many questions because I know that was a journey on its own for you to finally find someone who can make these keychains for you um <laughs> but I wanted to talk about the characters first I mean you have such like a rich cast of characters like how did you come up with them and are there certain characters that you're like yeah I, I see myself this part of myself and this character, maybe this part and another character. Yeah, let's just start with how you came up with them. Yeah, yeah. There's three core characters. So uh, the first main character is Kang. Kang is actually my dad's original character. My dad and I talk a lot. We, we both love stories. So we talk a lot about story ideas. And um, we've talked about it a ton just in the car um, when I was growing up. So my dad had this idea that he told me he wanted a character who could control spirits using our traditional instrument, um, the gang, which talks in the language of uh, spirits. So the music notes that you hear from the gang are our actual words being spoken in the language of spirits. <laughs> so he wanted a character mm. that was kind of like a Pied Piper that can control spirits or talk to them. Um, and so that was the basis for King. And it's really funny because when I first designed King, he was supposed to be a very cold, ruthless, murdering type of character. But as I mentioned before, when I start writing, the characters kind of just take control and do their own thing. So he ended up being more of a sensitive crybaby. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but people love him. And I, I do appreciate that too, because you know I, I like that he's a very sensitive character. I have a, a little brother who he's very, very sensitive. And um, mm. I wanted kind of that representation too. So I'm very happy he turned into that. <laughs> the other main character is Shu, who I went in, I really wanted a prince character who was very naive about the uh, real world, who was very sheltered and gets kind of introduced to the reality of things. And I wanted him to be very book smart rather than physically smart. But when I continued writing him, he ended up being really stupid. <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's not the brightest character. He's very naive and very innocent. So they get into a lot of trouble because he's not very bright <laughs> and he doesn't make very mm. good decisions because he's inexperienced. He's a very good character. And I actually find that out of all the characters that I have, I relate to him the most just because he has a very interesting internal world that I feel like I relate to. Yeah. And then the third uh, core character is, I don't know, I, I don't know if I should say his name because it could be a spoiler for people. Um, but the third character is is the transgender prince, the youngest prince, she's youngest brother, who goes through a journey of self-discovery, realizes that there is a lot more about him that he didn't know previously. Um, and he's unlocking a lot of the more darker secrets of the world that he's in and who he is as a person. Um, he's a very interesting character because I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go with him. Um, as he continued to write himself, he became more like a emotional shonen, shonen protagonist. So mm -hmm. he's been very fun to work with. And uh, Shu is the one that you're like, it, it's funny that you say that you ended up writing him as, you know, not the most intelligent and you're like, I relate to him the most. Are you like, damn it, why did you do such a stupid thing at this point in time? Do you ever feel that way as you're writing him? 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he makes a lot of like really weird decisions and he's also kind of impulsive. I find myself also impulsive and being like, oh, why did I make that decision? So <laughs> that's where he's relatable. What about like the fantasy and action? Like how did you learn and like craft that part? Because, you know, it's one thing to talk about a character's individual journey. Getting action and fantasy elements are like, it can be really difficult too. Like where did you draw from in order to pull that off in your comic? Yeah. Um... To be honest, I was not very well versed in action. I love, again, Chinese high fantasy. I love like martial arts movies. And so action is something that I personally enjoy as a consumer. As a creator, I hate it. <laughs> I, I really mm. do not like drawing action scenes because they're very dynamic. But it's something that I have to learn because, again, I don't control the story. <laughs> so it, it's been fun, though, learning a lot about foreshortening. Uh, what I've been doing to learn and understand action more is reading action webtoons because the way that you do action mm. in a scroll comic is different from how you would do action like on a page or horizontally. Yeah. Uh, you have to be considerate of the reader scrolling upwards. You have to be considerate about the flow of your action. So I studied some other action webtoons just you know, on the front page of webtoon, uh, all their popular action comics and kind of figuring out, okay, what are the solutions that these creators are making uh, to mm -hmm. convey action with the limitations of the scroll format? And what are they doing to, uh, another thing is getting around censorship because that, that was a really big one for me. And also how, they make their panels very dynamic and they're not doing one mm -hmm. of the pitfalls that I felt I was falling into was doing a lot too many standard motions. What are they doing to make each new panel more dynamic? So I learned a lot about how to use blur, what kind of shapes they're doing, what kind of angles they go for. Being very observant and studying action web scroll comics has been very helpful for me. You mentioned censorship earlier. Is there something in particular that Webtoon doesn't want you to have in the comic? Yeah, so you have to follow the terms of service or the terms of use um, because Webtoon is a mobile app. So they have to comply with the terms of service and terms of use and uh, the content guidelines for mobile uh, with mobile marketplaces like Apple and uh, Google Play. There's limitations on how much blood you can show uh, alongside things like nudity, uh, suggestive content, uh, how gratuitous the blood and the violence and I see. that is yeah um because again it's mobile apps so you have to comply with that kind of stuff it's not that they want to censor you because they want to be mean but that mm. uh in order to keep operating these are the things that they have to do on that note i'm just curious like if there's no censorship are you like a i want more blood and gore in my comic are you like given this story this feels appropriate i'm just curious naturally like where on that like kind of range you would want to be yeah, I, I'm not a fan of gore, but I really like blood. I love like really dramatic anime blood splatters. Before I joined onto uh, the Creator Awards program, uh, I had a lot more blood in the comic uh, that had mm. to be censored in order to qualify. They actually like they took down my episodes before, uh, and I had to uh, fix them and get them cleared uh, and approved. <laughs> so I've been more mindful about the amount of blood because a lot of the issues came from just there. There's way too much blood like in this you know, too much red. So it just kind of reduced it. Um, I do find that censorship, uh, it's fun to be creative with it too. And yeah. I also enjoy looking at how other people do censorship and studying the different artistic ways that they do it. There's an art to it. And I think that that should be appreciated too. I don't know if you watch Rick and Morty, but they do some very creative, I don't know how like we can show some some of the stuff that they pull up on TV, but they're very creative <laughs> with it. I'll give, them, I'll give them that. Yeah, yeah. Right? I feel like they do that a bunch in their episodes. Mm -hmm. One other really impressive thing with your webcomic is the cadence of which you've been publishing this. So you started in 2020, 
it's going strong. You publish pretty much every week and there are a lot of panels. I'm guessing it, it helps that you have a story that's been written. So, you know, you at least have a general plan, but going from that to like publishing weekly episodes that are very, very deep is difficult. So do you mind walking us through your weekly process of how you get panels and get your episodes out there? Yeah, I have a very, I would say, strict schedule on how I allocate my work and my, uh, uh, to my abilities, how I would allocate my work. So, you know, I do have a day job, so I, I go to that. Um, when I get back home, I allocate about 30 minutes to an hour for dinner and calming down uh, after work. And then, you know, just kind of getting relaxed and figuring out, okay, what am I going to do for the rest of the night? There is a subsection of time after that uh, between like a certain time and then another certain time to where I dedicate that to other hobbies or other interests so that I don't burn out on my comic. Mm -hmm. So that would go to like video games. I have a doll hobby, so I paint dolls. Mm -hmm. It could go to watching like TV shows and movies. I'm currently watching Rings of Power with my husband and it's been awesome. So I dedicate that time frame to doing something that just is completely not my comic. I have a shower at a very specific time of night. And then after that, after the shower, that's like the physical, like, you know, cleaning off the rest of the day. After that, mm. the rest of the night is dedicated to working on the comic. And I don't force myself to hyperfixate on the comic and only do that for the few hours. I do try and encourage myself to take frequent breaks. So I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm watching a lot of YouTube videos. I will scroll through TikTok a lot. Um, but my mindset has to be that this is comic working time. I can take a bunch of little breaks in between it, but what I'm doing as the main event of that portion of my night is the comic. And so this continues on. I have the schedule from Wednesday to either, it depends on when I finish the episode. So if I finish an episode really quickly, I'll take Monday off, but it'll go up to Monday. And then I take Tuesday off to just kind of enjoy myself and enjoy like the new episode release. And it goes on like that. This is not related, but... Have you seen a Dress Up Darling? You mentioned you had a doll a hobby, so I was just curious if that was something you enjoyed. It's so funny because when that came out, everybody was telling me, like, you have to get on this, you know, because they know that I love dolls. Um, I have not watched Dress Up Darling yet because I haven't set down the time to do it. But no, yeah, it's on my to-watch list because it's pretty much everything that I like. I, I also really like, like, Yara fashion and that kind of stuff, too. So having, like, that kind of character interests me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to get you off of your schedule or something, but uh, it is funny to... <laughs> to hear that and let me know what you think once you end up uh, watching it oh yeah, absolutely so you've done this for two years what have been your biggest learnings since doing this I've learned a lot about just scroll comics in general because I've never really worked on scroll comics before most of the comic work that I've done is very it's either one panel or like very short um very meme -y. so I had to learn a lot about how to draw for one thing. I never took drawing very seriously until I started this comic. And you can kind of see it too when you read the first episode and you compare it to the most recent episode, uh, you can see kind of the evolution of my drawing. So learning how to draw was the first thing that I learned. Uh, the second mm -hmm. thing I learned was uh, shortcuts and how to kind of get around things. Aside from like all the typical shortcuts of like, you know, using um, certain assets or reusing brushes, reusing like line art. Um, one of the things that I do is I kind of design characters to be a little more simple. I have a lot of characters who wear capes, so I can obscure a lot of their bodies with just the cape flowing. Mm. People think it's really cool. Uh, it's just yeah. cut time. <laughs> <laughs> did you like design the character? You're like capes are part of it, and then you're like, oh, they could be helpful, or did you add them later? No, yeah, yeah. It, it was um, when I first designed like the royals, and they all have capes, and I thought it was really cool. And then as I continue drawing them, I'm like, wait, I can just use the cape to like cover their body. I can use the cape <laughs> as like a transition. So it helps a lot. 
And you made a YouTube uh, trailer for season two. It blew my mind, like just like someone making a video trailer. Was that difficult? Yeah. So the first thing that I did was put together a storyboard or I, I wrote down an outline and then was working on the storyboard, but I reached out to voice actors first because I wanted to kind of feel out the voices of the characters. So I did a call for voice actors and that, that was oh, actually okay. very overwhelming because it was my first time calling for voice actors. And it turns out there's a lot of voice actors, yeah. especially on Twitter. And so like my DMs were really swarmed with voice actors and I learned about the different values that voice actors have and how to work with them. I have a friend who is a voice actor. His name is G and he helped guide me through the process of voice direction and communicating with the voice actors. So that was really cool. I dedicated a good portion of time to uh, not only working with the voice actors on the lines that I gave them, but also working on the artwork for the comic or not the comic, the video. And um, mm -hmm. after we compiled those assets together, I also had a musician that I worked with, uh, Ryko, who um, did the music. I kind of just gave her like some music that I liked that I felt would be a good vibe for the trailer and asked her, hey, can you like do something like this? And she crafted together this, it was a really incredible theme song that I worked a lot of the storyboard around. And we brought all that together. My husband is a video editor, so he edited it all together. And that's pretty much how it came about. It was really, really cool just seeing it all come to life. You get all the little bits and pieces and you can kind of like imagine like where it's going to go, but you don't really see it until you have it like in that video editing mm -hmm. room. And we're doing those little, like, you know, little timing details and watching it over and over again. It's like, okay, this is like an actual thing that like we've created together. It's a really cool collaborative effort. And I'm really grateful for everybody who participated in it. I also like how you have your whole family working on the webtoon. Just props for making that happen. Like your husband's <laughs> yeah. editing. Parents are are like, uh, what's it called when like, there's like a advisor for like a space movie. They'll have like NASA scientists. Like that's what your oh, parents are basically. Yeah, yeah. Like forget, consultants. There's like a name. For, yeah. Your parents are the consultants, <laughs> cultural consultants. Yeah. Well, well, you're pulling it off really well. How did it feel to have that shared by webtoon? Oh, yeah. Well, it was uh, a standalone video for a pretty long time. Uh, Webtoon reached out to me, the Webtoon Canvas team, they're really great. I love working with them. I love Winnie, shout out to her. Um, they reached out to me around the time when they were going to do promotions for uh, AAPI month. And they said, hey, is it okay for us to do a native post with your video? And I said, yeah. And we only had to do like one small tweak where instead of saying like, oh, it's like, you know, season two out and in like December because we were already past December. We just had to like, you know, kind of tweak it to be a little more general. Um, but it was really cool. I really enjoy every instance that they have helped share my comic. I've been very grateful to the Canvas team. You have over 30,000 readers now. I mean, how does it feel to have built such a big reader base? Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's definitely way beyond what I had anticipated when I started. I, I didn't go into it with any expectations. So I'm just really grateful that there's all these people who not only read it regularly, but are cool to receive notifications for it um, and keep up <laughs> with it and be dedicated to it. So you use social, obviously, to you know get the word out there and spread things. I've seen, you know, you've done things on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Do you kind of think about like using social to help grow your audience or how do you view each of those channels? Yeah, so every social media channel has a different audience, I feel, a different demographic or different demographics within them. Um, so, for example, I avoid Reddit because it doesn't have the audience that I need. And so it'd be a kind of a wasted effort to reach out on Reddit. But I utilize Twitter more for networking with other comic creators, being a part of the community, being aware of what's going on in the comic community and news. Um, and also most of my updates on Twitter are more like excitable updates for uh, anyone who is a fan of Reads who's following me. I can post like, you know, sneak peeks, that kind of stuff. 
and also announce when a new episode has come out. That's mainly what I use that for. When it comes to Instagram, I actually use Instagram to target a Hmong audience because there's more Hmong people on Instagram than there are on uh, mm. Twitter. So I craft uh, the way that I make posts on Instagram to target Hmong Instagram users, as well as a younger audience who would align better with Webtoon, kind of introduce them in a very visual format, kind of show off my art a lot more, whereas Twitter shows off my personality. Um, when it comes to TikTok, uh, I'm still fairly new to TikTok, but I've been enjoying learning about its landscape, discovering that it has a lot of users. Yeah. And that's where you can pull a lot more traffic if you can successfully make a TikTok that kind of is a hit. Uh, right now, the TikTok that is still still running as a hit for me is uh, one about how my dad keeps telling everybody about my comic, and he didn't even realize that it was considered like a BL <laughs> until he actually read it. <laughs> so that's still going. Like I still get, I, I wake up every day and it's like 99 plus notifications on this one TikTok that I made oh, like wow. over a month ago. Yeah. And that has channeled significantly more users, more subscribers to more subscribers and more page views to my comic than Webtoon's internal marketing, for example. But I think that the biggest platform that has helped uh, my comic grow is Webtoon itself. It has pretty good internal marketing when you get featured and promoted on there. And so a lot of subscribers that I've gotten now were because Webtoon recommended me to people or because they put me in like a spotlight section. So I would say that currently Webtoon is the platform that I rely on the most to kind of get the word out. But aside from that, I am looking towards TikTok as a means of funneling users to my comic. And if they like it, then they'll subscribe because TikTok right now has the demographic. Webtoon skews pretty young. So there's a lot of young people on TikTok who are also like using Webtoon. I don't think that the other avenues are places that you should give up on, but I think that right now we should turn towards TikTok as a means of uh, user acquisition. Is it easy for you to see as a canvas creator, like, oh, these are the people that have come from TikTok? Or are you kind of just looking at, oh, my subscriber base has grown by this much. My followers on TikTok have grown by this much, or I've gotten this many views. Like, how are you able to kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of subscribers and page views every day when it resets uh, in our mm. little like internal data tracking counter, um, because they don't... Uh, in, on the Canvas end, they don't give us like a holistic view of our growth. They only give mm -hmm. you the stats for the past 24 hours. So you kind of have to keep track of that. I've only missed like one day out of the two years that I've been on this platform. <laughs> um, but I keep track of that. And I always put down notes of like, what did I do today that might have caused like a spike here or there? So like, for example, if a TikTok goes off, then I can see there's a lot of traffic coming to my comic. I got a lot more page views. I got a lot more subscribers. And I'll put in a note like, oh, hey, like, you know, this TikTok did well. Um, so that's pretty much how I track that kind of stuff. If there's there's sometimes an influx of subscribers and page views where I can't trace down if I've done anything externally to cause that. I'm at a point now where I just kind of chalk it up to because Webtoon has a section uh, for readers, usually at the bottom of a comic that they've been reading where it's like, oh, if you like this comic, then you like this comic, that kind of stuff. I've kind of attributed to that where I'm pretty sure I'm showing up algorithmically to people more often on certain days. Do you think there's anything that you've done that obviously, you know, a big question we get and people have is like, oh, how do I get promoted by Webtoon more? Is there anything you think that you've done that has helped with that? I'm guessing it's really difficult to tell if that's the case. I don't have any clear evidence <laughs> on what makes them decide to reach out and promote, but I think that it's really beneficial to have content, social media content out there that they want to promote. And I can pretty much pinpoint each one that they've reached out to me to. I did a really long Twitter thread uh, giving advice on webcomics and they saw that. So they reached out to me and they were like, hey, you know, can we share your Twitter thread, but like make it native and add our own graphics to it? And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, so I think that 
and again too with like the trailer and like another instance was I did an art to celebrate a subscriber milestone. So I think that if you have assets that are at the ready for them to utilize, they'll be more likely to reach out to you because, you know, mm. you have the assets or you're celebrating a milestone uh, and they want to help share that too, because, you know, it's there and they can help get more eyes on it. The other thing I wanted to touch on was monetization, supporting yourself as a creator. You mentioned you have a day job, but obviously a lot of creators are looking at how do I support myself with the comic that I make? The first thing is Patreon. You have over 20 patrons. What have you uh, seen work for you as someone that's uh, on Patreon? Honestly, I'm I'm very grateful. I'm also very shocked that people subscribe to my Patreon. I find that a good majority of uh, the patrons are just genuinely wanting to support me, which I find I'm very, very grateful for and I find very endearing. I really appreciate that, you know, they want to support me and they always tell me that they want to see me succeed. So I'm really grateful to them for that. The things that I offer on my Patreon are more behind the scenes looks, uh, first looks at illustrations and merchandise. They got to vote on the t-shirt design, uh, the layout mm. for the t-shirt design, which is really cool. And I, I like that they get to be a part of that process. Um, other things like sketches. So these are like sketches that I don't feel comfortable sharing publicly. Um, just like, mm. you know, my quick warmups that I do in between panels. But I do like being able to share that fun aspect of having little rough sketches and sharing that exclusively with this group. Those kind of little things and, you know, a, a little more intimate parts of reads is what makes my Patreon appealing. You mentioned the suggestions and voting. You say that it's something that you kind of market on your Patreon. Do you see a lot of engagement with that? Because I can imagine that there's some of your readers who get really excited that they can kind of go behind the scenes in that way. Can you talk a little bit more about like how those suggestions and polls and things work? Yeah, I think it really depends on the content that you're asking for a poll for. Mm -hmm. For the most part, I've spoken with other people about Patreon and Patreon's engagement rate is actually pretty, pretty low for users in general. Um, people sometimes will even like leave your Patreon if you update too much because you're sending them way too many notifications. But mm -hmm. um, for the most part, I feel like engagement is low, but the people who will vote or the people who will engage with your content will do so consistently. So I always see the same names and the same faces, like returning and talking and commenting and voting. And then on the Etsy side, you made over a hundred sales, which is crazy. And maybe the, the best place to start is the keychain. Can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to create a keychain and what that process was like for you? Yeah, this was actually my very first ever foray into merchandise. And I had no idea what I was doing because I don't, I've never worked in print merchandise at all. It was a lot of learning. I've tried to pull around and ask people like, what kind of merchandise do they like? And then I had to take into consideration my demographic as well. Cause I mentioned before, I definitely skew more on the younger side. I think the majority of my readers are in their teens or their young adults in college. So they don't have a lot of money to throw around. Um, but people like keychains because, you know, you, it's small and you can put it on pretty much anything and kind of share that little, like the little representation of yourself, this little thing that you like. So keychains were the first thing that were on my mind, aside from prints, which I felt like were more standard and surprisingly too, the prints sell very, very well, I, I was very surprised to see how many people wanted to buy prints because I personally don't buy prints that much. Yeah, the, the keychains, they're popular among young people. And so that's why I wanted to go with keychains. And then uh, you talked a little bit about the reception. What do you think was the secret to like the success of getting so many sales? Because I know for a lot of webtoon creators, it can be difficult to get sales on Etsy. But why do you think it's worked so well for you? 
Yeah, it has to do with the IP strength and the dedication and love for the characters. I keep a very close eye on the characters that people like the most in my story. Mm. Um, I have a lot of like smaller charm size keychains for other characters who aren't the main three to kind of keep track of like how fast they are selling out. So for example, Lee, the second oldest uh, royal brother sold out like nearly instantly, <laughs> which mm. was a little shocking. Um, so I would say that he's yeah. one of the more popular characters. Um, but the other three, uh, I keep, you know, Kang and Shu and uh, our youngest prince, I keep a very close eye on them. I was very surprised to see that the youngest prince actually sells more keychains than the other two. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, Kang is second. And then Shu, of course, he'll either go with Kang. There's, I think there's been a couple of people who have only bought Shu, but Shu tends to be kind of packaged in with King. So people are either like stands of, you know, our young trans prince or they're stands of King. So I think that a lot of the success comes from the strength of people's attachments to the character. Um, the other thing is just the frequency of my marketing. I do a lot of updates on my creator profile, which sends a notification to people who are following it saying, hey, you know, like we restocked on this or hey, you know, these are selling out, come buy them. I know that people can find push notifications to be annoying, but I've learned that the people who don't want the push notification, they will just swipe it away. They don't care. Um, but the people who do read it and they find it interesting, they will go and they'll investigate more. So I think it's okay to kind of do like a, a push notification, maybe like once a week. And then with the updates uh, at the very end of my comic and recent episodes, since, you know, actually launching the store, I found that that's been very helpful, this call to action to go to check out the Etsy store every week. So whenever I mm. update an episode and it has that CTA at the end, uh, I do end up getting a couple of Etsy orders after the new episode goes up. So I've completely removed uh, my see. social media CTA to instead incorporate the Etsy CTA and divert the traffic there. Interesting. I don't know how I feel about the, the fact that Lee is like selling out so quickly, but <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting character at the very least. So he, he reaches a certain demographic, uh, a certain type of fan base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before we move on to like the rapid fire round, just wanted to ask you a little bit about your future. How are you thinking about your future as a creator? Do you, are you just focused on finishing off reads? Are there other stories that you want to tell? Yeah, reads uh, was definitely more of my experiment child. I wanted to be very scrappy with it to learn a lot from it uh, so that it can make my future works better. I already have started writing novel style, uh, the next story that I want to do after this, which will probably come out in like 2025. But I've already kind of have a long-term plan of what I want to do next, but I'm just, I'm very happy with where Reads is at and I'm very grateful to it. There's a lot of learning that I have made from this that is going to contribute to the success of my next project. And then in terms of just the future of web comics, do you have any predictions or maybe things that you'd like to see? In regards to predictions, I think that we should probably turn towards looking at the direction that Naver Webtoon and Kakao have made with their platforms, as well as looking at the mobile space in general. I think that scroll web comics and mobile web comics have taken a different trajectory than traditional like paper comics in that they are entering mm. the mobile space. So they will grow the way that mobile entertainment content will grow. So I think that's something that we need to take into consideration. And I think that that's the direction that these comics are going to be going towards because this is the model that the corporations are likely turning towards. And then do you have any advice for like someone that's just thinking about starting their first comic? Yeah, so you always hear the advice people say to just start and just get started and don't think too much about it. Uh, I want to kind of expand on that in saying to don't be afraid of failure. I always ascribe to the philosophy of failing forward. So 
you take failure and you learn from your mistakes and you move forward with it. It's pretty much the, a simple philosophy, but it's actually a lot harder to do in practice. Um, you always see creators who they start, they have a lot of really large ambitions and then they become very discouraged when they don't hit the successes that they want right away or they're hitting a lot of failures and it becomes very demoralizing and it hurts them a lot and I think it's normal to you know be hurt and be sad and feel that kind of pain whenever you're not succeeding in the way that you want to succeed but I think that it's important to learn the skill of accepting failure and then also learning and looking at your failures objectively, thinking back on, okay, what did I do incorrectly here that caused this outcome? Try not to put too much of your feelings into it or lash out at other people. You know, you sometimes see people who, when they fail, they start blaming other people, they'll blame the platform or, you know, some higher being that is like being cruel to them. I think it's better to kind of step away from that once you can kind of process those feelings and take observations on what went wrong. So like, oh, you know, maybe I timed the release of this post wrong, I'm marketing to the wrong demographic. I'm looking at like, you know, the stats from a different angle, that kind of stuff. So I ascribe to fail forward. So if you fail, you should take it as a learning opportunity and then move forward. I love it. And like you said, very hard to do. I would love to take a lesson from your book. So thanks for sharing <laughs> that. <laughs> Let's close out with the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Which fictional character best describes your personality? I would say Edna Mode from The Incredibles, the little like fashion mm -hmm. designer. Um, aside from the fact that I myself love fashion and I love the practicality of fashion, I think a lot about this quote that comes from her, I never look back, it distracts from the now. And that's something that I try to describe in everything that I do. Mm. So like, you know, I'll look back and I can look at like my old comic episodes and be like, oh, like it looks terrible. Um, but I have no desire to redraw any of them or redo any of them. Uh, I just keep moving forward because, you know, it's only getting better and I don't want to distract myself from doing that stuff. Uh, the other thing too is how she uh, tried to change the way that she designed superhero capes. So she doesn't do capes anymore. Yeah, I was going to bring yeah. up the capes. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't do capes anymore because again, she's failing forward. She learned from her mistakes and now she's just moving on and choosing other uh, solutions to that. Which three comics would you take with you on a desert island? The first one would be Wayne Family Adventures. I've always loved Batman as character, but he he's had a lot of really dark stories. So I very much enjoy this newer, fresher slice of life take on the Batman universe instead of it being so full of pain and trauma. Um, it's about healing and family and, you know, Bruce Wayne actually being happy, <laughs> uh, which is something that I didn't realize that we needed in this IP, but it's pretty great. <laughs> the other one would be Berserk. Uh, I really love not only just the attention to detail in Berserk, but also the themes of finding beauty and love uh, within the a painful, like, dark world and seeing Gus's growth through that. The other one would be One Piece because it's still going. It's very long. I have never read One Piece. If I'm stuck on a desert island, I want to have something to keep me entertained. So I will read One Piece for the first time. <laughs> if you could pick any, which creator would you want to have dinner with? Okay, so his name is really difficult to pronounce. And he purposely doesn't tell people how to pronounce it because he likes watching people struggle pronouncing it. Um, he's the uh, creation comic artist who uh, did Sunstone and Harleen. Uh, I'm going to try really hard to pronounce his name. Stepan Seich, I think. The way that he does his paintings and he renders things, 
at the rate and the pace that he does it is so fascinating to me. I would love to just kind of pick his brain and understand his process, um, as well as the way that he does storytelling and he balances humor and serious moments so well. So I would love to just sit down with him and just kind of learn more about how his brain is wired and how his creativity is wired. And I'd also love if his wife, Linda, could be there too, because she is also just as talented and she's a very great person. I love just seeing her on my feet all the time. What's your favorite scene from any comic? The most poignant scene from any comic that I have ever witnessed in my entire life was in Tokyo Ghoul. Um, the main character, Kaneki Ken, his best friend, Hide, um, who's kind of been silently observing him go through a really difficult, traumatic time throughout the story, um, is talking to another character and explaining, like, you know, oh, Kaneki, uh, the main character, hides a lot of himself, and he doesn't talk about it. And you'll know because he has a tell where if he's lying, he touches his chin, and he shows the emotion of touching his chin. And that was, like, really, that was really mind-blowing to me because... When you go back and you read the previous volumes, he does that a lot. <laughs> and you start to see like, mm -hmm. oh, like, you know, the author was like showing this and foreshadowing this a lot throughout the entire story. All the instances where he's lying or he's uncomfortable, he's touching his chin. So that wow. that was mind blowing. And that taught me to use visual tells. Again, I love visual storytelling. I've learned a lot about visual cues and uh, also giving characters fidgets. My characters also have their own fidgets uh, whenever they're in certain situations. And then finally, if you could have dinner with a fictional character, who would it be? It would be Elle Elliot from Death Note because it would have a lot of sweets and I love sweets. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would love to just hang out and uh, eat sweets with this guy. Izzy, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a lot of fun to learn more about Reed's listener. Please check out Reed's on Webtoon. From there, you can find Izzy's creator profile and find all of his socials. Izzy, it's been an absolute blast and thanks for coming on the show. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any feedback or want to be featured as our next guest, please write to us at pixelsandpanelspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, like, or give us a five-star rating. See you all next week.